The Spirit of the Lord is in this place because the Spirit of the Lord is in us, his church. Amen? He calls us to gather. He calls us to worship. And this is truly heaven on earth when the church is gathered and willing to lift their praises and surrender their hearts because that is what's being done in heaven. Amen? So we are the place, the place on earth that shows the world here's what heaven looks like. And that's a holy calling upon us. It's a grace given to us, but it's a calling upon us as the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm grateful that he came to pursue us, and he came to pursue that which was lost, heaven on earth. We're in our series called Pursuit. We've been doing some uh, fun things along the way here. Each week we've been in, in search of a treasure that we've hidden in different cities around the area. So we had the first week here in Ovilla. Uh, last week, let's see, the second week was Midlothian. This past week is in Waxahachie. And if you follow the clues, it led you to Lake Waxahachie. And if you followed the clues there, it led you to a seat that was overlooking the dock and the water there. And we had 20 plus people find the treasure this past week. Way to go, y'all. So this is our last week coming up. The treasure is already hidden for this next week, and it is in Midlothian. All right, so you're going to need to pick up on the way out today one of our treasure cards. We've been, uh, we've been pretty gracious with the clues up to this week. Like I've said things like, here are clues for the street that it's on and giving you two Bible references and here's the location that it is. This week, it's just four different clues. You're gonna have to look them up. You'll find a matching word in each of the verses. Put those together. Do a little Google searching. You'll find the treasure. It's a little bit of effort, a little bit of work. So next week, look at this. Next week, we're gonna do a drawing for all those who participated and found the treasure and they entered in their name through the app we have $100 in gift cards here to Chick-fil-A, Cup of Alaska, and my favorite, the cookie place, right, in Waxahachie and Cedar Hill. Now, Crumble Cookie, yeah. So we'll do that next week. And we've got a couple other prizes we'll give away. So if you haven't, whoops, if you haven't played yet, you still can. You can still play, participate. When you find the treasure, you'll open the box. There's a QR code on the inside. Go to the link there, enter your name, and that'll put you in the drawing. Now, the more times you've played over the weeks, the more times your name will be in the basket for the drawing. So that'll be all next week. It'll be fun. It's our last week. I will say this. You have to be here next week to win the drawing if your name is drawn. All right, if we draw someone's name and they're not here, Sorry, we're going on to the next name. So you want to be here next week for that. All right. So as we continue our series today, it is true that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he taught his disciples to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught his disciples to pray and to have that kind of passion. God, May your will be done in my life. May heaven come and be in me here like it is in heaven. May your will be done in my marriage here like it is in heaven. May your will be done in my home, my family, here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may your will be done in the church, the ones who've been given the responsibility to proclaim this message of the kingdom. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, if you would grant us mercy, may your will be done in our nation. 
here on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer. And that's the thing we long for as the church. That's the spirit of Jesus within us. It's the Holy Spirit within us. But we all recognize, even with passionate prayer, even with some longing and pursuit, some hard work, there are still areas in our life, in our family, in our nation, where we are still waiting to see heaven and the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? There's still some things that have not yet come to pass like we want. We can all agree on that culturally. We can all agree on that in a larger scale. But in reality, we can all agree also in our family, there's some things that we're still praying for. There are relationships. There are people who have yet to know the goodness of the Lord. And throughout this series, just to be quite honest, um, my heart has hurt for this, but I've heard this from many of you as well, that I agree with all this stuff you're saying. Heaven, come down, and God, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. But in reality, there's parts of our lives, people have told me, where we're just really hurting and we don't know what to do because the family member, the situation, the relationship, it just seems like an almost impossibility to see resolved. It's almost like the potential for it has already died. Like I can't see how it would come to pass. And I think everybody in this room would say amen. I, I, I know what you're talking about. And the scripture is true and rich and good to us. And that God speaks into those very moments. Those places where you and I are still waiting and praying and pursuing Scripture speaks to that moment. Today, if you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, our message is called, When the Dream Has Died. When the dream has died. When the longing, the pursuit, the hope, the thing you've chased for, prayed for, longed for, cried for, hasn't come to pass. Isaiah 6 written by the prophet Isaiah, begins with a phrase that if you've, if you've been around Christianity in the church, you'll recognize the story. This is the story where Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne. It's where Isaiah sees the Lord and God speaks to him and says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. You, you may be familiar with that story. It starts like this in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and two he covered his feet, and it goes on, and you get this just powerfully beautiful picture, and you get caught up in the moment of, oh my, Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw him for who he was in heaven. It's as though God parted the curtains between us and him, and Isaiah saw him, and Isaiah is so moved by it, he begins to write and he records it, and God's faithful and gracious to provide it for us in Scripture, for us to read today. Isaiah puts it all down in writing what this experience was like, and you quickly get into this thing of he's sitting on a throne, and he's high and lifted up, and, and the train of his robe is filling the temple, and there's so much imagery 
story here that it's easy to miss when Isaiah is writing and what is the context, what is the setting. And this verse tells us the setting. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, that may not mean much to us, but it meant a lot to Isaiah. And let me tell you what it meant. You see, Uzziah, Uzziah had been the king over the southern portion of Israel. And he had been king for 52 years. Now it's hard for us to imagine a ruler in place for 52 years. He started when he was really young. And he sought the Lord. He was a good king. He was like his father. So we're working on a second generation of good leadership in the nation. 50, 60, 70 years of a man in place who seeks the Lord, who wants to do what's right before God's eyes. And if you read in 2 Chronicles 26, you find the description of all of that. It describes Uzziah's life and his reign and how good he is. And he does seek the Lord. He prays. He looks to God's law for direction. He wants the best for his land. He honors God in his people. And the land that God had given them, he wanted to honor. Uzziah was a nationalist, a God-honoring nationalist. He loved his nation, and he wanted to see God glorified in his nation. And so, the Bible describes that he sought to build up their military. Hey, I'm not making a political speech this morning. I'm just telling you what scripture says. Uzziah built up the military because he knew there were enemies who stood against God's people and God's ways. It also says that Uzziah built towers. Why would you build a tower? Because you wanted to provide protection to your borders. You wanted to oversee anybody and anything that could come in and stop and threaten you. Uzziah also came up with very creative ways, the Bible describes, for providing unique military equipment, resources, to help keep the nation strong. So he kept it militarily strong, but he also kept the economy strong. He worked to provide so that the people could earn a living, raise their crops, and he promoted agriculture and industry. And as a result, the land became rich and wealthy and strong. The enemies feared them. They became powerful. He was a good king. He sought the Lord. But the Bible also describes something tragic that happened to Uzziah. It says that Uzziah became strong. He, not just politically, socially, and in popularity, but the description is of his heart. One day he reached a place arrogance took over in his heart. And instead of being a humble king who trusted the Lord, Uzziah one day looked at all he had and thought, dude, I've arrived. I've made it. 
I've accomplished. I am something. And in his pride, Uzziah wanted to do something that was not meant for him to do because Uzziah was a king. God had called him to be a king. He was in the order of kings. He was born to be a king. But Uzziah wanted to be a priest. Uzziah wanted to go into the temple. Uzziah wanted to take on a role that was not his to take on. Uzziah wanted to be something he was not born to be. Uzziah wanted to take on something that he was not made for. He was meant to stay in his lane and stay in what God had called him to, but he wanted to be someone different. He wanted to be the priest as well as the king. And so Uzziah made it his goal to one day try to enter the temple. He was going to take upon himself the holy role of offering up sacrifices. It was not his to do. And the priest in that day stood to resist him. The Bible says there were 80 of them. And they were valiant men. They were strong. You don't have to be wimpy to be in the ministry. These guys weren't. They were valiant men and they, well, they withstood him. He said, Uzziah, don't do this. Don't do this. This is wrong, Uzziah. Stay in your role as king. This is what God called you to. This is what God has blessed you in. Don't do this, Uzziah. Please stop. Don't do this. And Uzziah forged ahead anyway, past these 80 men, and he grabbed a golden censer to be able to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And they all stood there and watched when he grabbed this golden censer because something very dramatic happened. Because you don't mess with the holiness of God. And while they were all standing there, they looked at Uzziah and all of a sudden leprosy broke out on his forehead there in that moment. And he felt it and they saw it. And in terror, they got him out of that place as quickly as they could. And Uzziah was forced to live the remaining years of his life in isolation. Because to have leprosy was to have a disease that was incredibly infectious and ultimately deadly. And to get it meant you were to be isolated from your family, from your friends, from whatever role you had in the culture. And Uzziah spends his remaining years not as the king. And then... In a specific year, King Uzziah died. Now, it's tragic on a lot of levels because the nation is in mourning. The nation doesn't know what to do. They've had one king for 52 years, and all of a sudden he has walked away from God. And it does something to people when the man who represents the leadership in a nation or in a family walks away from God. It does something to everybody. And this was happening. It hit it on a different level because most believe that Uzziah and Isaiah were cousins. Here was family. Here was someone he knew. This wasn't just a title of a man somehow removed. This was someone he knew. And it hurts when someone you know turns from the Lord 
when they walk away, when they want to do something counter to everything that they have known and been taught and have walked in. And so what Isaiah writes next has powerful application for all of us. What do you do when your king Uzziah dies? What do you do when your dream dies? What do you do when the marriage you hoped for seems no longer possible? What do you do when that adult child that you've prayed for and you, you remember rocking them and crying with them and playing with them and now they're grown and they want to walk away from the Lord? What do you do when it's the parent that you have loved and prayed for and they're nearing the end of their life and they don't want to turn and walk in God's ways? What do you do when the land itself is in a place of potential catastrophe? What do you do when your dream has died? We continue with Isaiah 6 and what he says, because life sometimes is painful. Isaiah says, here's what you do. He said, when it happened to me, he said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up in the train of his robe filled the temple. He said, the first thing you do is you look to see. See the Lord. Before you look at your struggle, look to see the Lord. Before you start assessing whatever's going on in your life, and you start trying to make your decisions, and you start trying to figure out what you're going to do about it, before you get all worked up, before you want to stop and see all of the emotions you're feeling, before you want to stop and see all of the thoughts you're having, before you want to see what Google has to say, before you want to see what others have to say, before you do anything, go to the Lord first and see the Lord. See him. That's why it's so valuable for us to gather as God's people. Because God speaks and there's hope and there's power in the gathering of the church. Amen? We see the Lord in a different way when we are gathered together. See the Lord. See him in his power. See him through your tears. See him through your fears. See him there. But see him Isaiah says, sitting. He didn't say, I saw the Lord pacing. I saw the Lord absent. I saw the Lord walking to and fro. No, I saw him sitting. You don't sit unless you're comfortable. You don't sit unless you trust the situation. If you're on guard, you're up. But if you are confident and rest in a situation, you're able to sit and relax and know this is secure. And he sees the Lord and he is seated. Not absent, not pacing, seated. But he's sitting on a throne. A throne. It's the throne of heaven. It's a throne over all creation. 
And here is the Lord sitting on this throne. When a king sits on his throne, he's seated in his place of power. He's seated in his place of majesty. He is seated in the place where he is reigning and where all things are under his command. And here is the Lord in the midst of chaos on earth sitting on his throne. We get rattled sometimes by what we see happening around us. Isaiah was a bit rattled that Uzziah had died. But Uzziah became only a lens for Isaiah to turn and see the Lord. And what he saw there was the Lord sitting in majesty and power on a throne. And this throne, it's, it's high and lifted up, Isaiah said. Now, I don't know how Isaiah was able to keep his composure enough. I don't think he's probably writing in the moment, but he's probably writing a little later about what he went through here because this is, this is an, an awe-filled moment. This is one of those moments that transforms you. This is one of those moments that forever changes you. And Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne. There's no chaos. The Lord doesn't have 10 computer monitors around him tracking the latest data from all the nations on the earth. The Lord knows. And he's reigning there from his throne. And he says, this throne is it's high and it's lifted up. It's above all other thrones. There are other kings who claim that they are reigning. There are others who claim that they are in control. But this king, he sits on his throne and it's high above all other earthly powers. He is the king over all kings. He is the Lord over all lords. And it says something interesting here. It says, the train of his robe fills the temple. Now that's not something our leaders do in our day. You don't see uh, congressmen and president and mayors, you don't see them wearing long robes. But in the time of royalty, a king wore his royal robe. And his train was a symbol of his power. And the longer your train, the greater your power. In fact, some historians believe that what often happened is when a king defeated another king, he would go in and cut his robe and bring that robe and attach it to his robe as a way of saying, I now have control over that realm, over that domain, over that nation, and I have added what was his power to my power, and I reign over all. And so the more length you had to your train, the more length you had over your authority. And so here is Jesus sitting on a throne and his robe, it doesn't just fill the throne area. It fills the entire temple because there is no power that he does not already have authority over. There is no power that he has not already exercised his victorious power over. He reigns over all. He is the king supreme. Amen? Amen. Now, you may be asking, 
That all sounds lovely and good and all, but man, it sure looks like right now that there are other people reigning who are in control. It looks like life is chaotic. It looks like things are not happening according to the plan that I would have thought. And I would say, you're right. It's not according to the plan you would have thought. But the scripture goes on and it tells us more about this experience here that Isaiah has when his dream has died. We go on, verse 2, it says, Above this throne stood seraphim, which is an order of angels, and each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he flew. Or I'm sorry, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. This powerful, majestic angels are there, and they have six wings, majestic, powerful wings. And with two, they're covering their face because the Lord who's on this throne is so holy, he cannot even be viewed even by the angels. His brilliance and his righteousness and his glory and his power are too great. So with two of the wings, they're covering their face. But with two of their wings, they're covering their feet as well. Because the ground that they are on is holy ground, and they cannot even bear to touch it, even though they are angelic order. They cannot even touch this place because it is such a holy place. And with two, it says, this angel flew. He has the power of movement. He can go wherever he wants because God uses his angelic order to accomplish his bidding. And we don't think about and talk about that a whole lot. We will one day here at Vertical because God uses angels even in our life. And they have power and they have strength. And what Isaiah sees is these angels around this throne. They are gathered there. They have purpose and they have power to do whatever God tells them to do. But where are they? They are at the throne in worship. They're not moved disturbed, bothered, or sent on assignment. They are there to give glory to the Lord. This tells us that even though Uzziah had died, the Lord is not moved from his place of authority or power. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He understands, but he is not shaken by what has happened on earth. The passage goes on, and Isaiah writes, and he said, I heard these angels, and, and, and one said to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These angels see the holiness of God. He's holy in that his ways are right and true. We might not understand what's going on here. We don't understand why Uzziah has died, but the angels say, holy, he will not be moved. His ways are right. He will not be mocked. He will not be denied. He is the holy God. So Isaiah is getting a complete perspective shift that even though here you'd want to say, God, come do something, change this. God says, I'm on my throne and the whole earth is full of my glory. Whether you and I can understand it or not, God works in the midst of our difficulty and pain to bring about his glory. 
We sometimes get short-sighted in the deal. We sometimes want it to end now. We sometimes want a different outcome in the end. But the end is not here. The end is there. And the whole earth is full of his glory in its good days and in its bad days and in its up times and in its down times because the Lord is on his throne. Amen? That's why I can trust him in the midst of my pain because he knows what I don't know. He's got a purpose bigger than what I know in the moment. Verse 4, it goes on and it says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. These angels, they speak. And whenever they speak, it just causes the place to rattle. The doors are rattling. The posts are rattling. The whole building is rattling. And you say there's smoke in the place as well. There's a sense of God's presence here in this place. The walls are shaken and there's smoke in the room. And it feels like a vertical worship service. Amen? Don't tell me there's no haze in heaven. It's right here in this passage. Because there was a genuine sense of the glory of the Lord in this place. And when the angels spoke and they cried out, holy, holy, it shook the place. And when the Lord speaks and you're listening, it'll shake this place right here as well. Amen? It ought to. Amen? And then Isaiah has one of those moments because he sees, but then it says in verse five, it says, so I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah says, this is too much, this is too great, the glory of the Lord, it's holy, and I'm not. I recognize my sin all of a sudden. I'm not looking around to see who's looking at me, I'm looking at the Lord because he's looking at me, and I recognize I am not him. I am not worthy, I am not powerful, and woe is me, I am undone, because he said, I'm a man. For him, he said, of unclean lips. He says, I talk a bunch of trash. And I don't think he was talking about just saying curse words. That's trash as well, by the way. I think Isaiah just talked trash in the sense of, man, things sure are terrible around here all the time. Where's God? I ain't seen God do anything here lately. Well, it's just hopeless for us as a nation. Nothing's gonna, I'm sorry, liberals, they're never gonna take over everything. You know, we're just gonna, it's just gonna be terrible and all this is gonna happen, you know. Those. That's unclean lips. Really, when you start talking with no hope, when you start talking that Jesus is not on the throne, when you start talking that there's no reason to be passionate for God's ways, when you start talking about how terrible life is, when you start talking about thinking they have more power than we do, that's unclean, hello? Amen. The Lord is the one who determines what's clean and unclean, and he says, I am on my throne. So if we're gonna say something clean, let's say Jesus is on his throne, watch out because his ways are holy. You might mock him today, but you'll spend an eternity wishing you hadn't. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is just. The Lord is a judge. And Isaiah sees, but Isaiah quickly repents. He recognizes his own sin, and he quickly turns away, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I notice that he recognized his own repentance before he talked about the need of the people to repent. If we want to see a people repent in our world today, we've got to see us repent first. 
Judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. And if you and I are pointing our fingers out there more than we're pointing our fingers right here, we're never going to see a change out there. Change out there starts to change in here until you and I are willing to say, woe is me. I'm a, I'm a person of unclean lips. I'm a person of low faith. I'm a person who hasn't been living his ways out. I'm a person who doubts. I'm a person who fears. I'm a person who's insecure. I'm a person who doesn't know God's word. I'm a person who doesn't have the spirit of God moving in power in my life until we're willing to say all of those things and confess those to the Lord. We're never going to see a change happen out there. It's where it starts. He said, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a person of, a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And he says, here's the reason, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He saw, and he got to this place of repentance. This is where we start, at the place of recognizing, woe is me. You want to see a change happen in our nation? Let's start right here. You want to see a change happen in your family? Start right here. You want to see a change happen in your marriage? Start right here. Stop saying, woe is them. Start saying, woe is me. Then Isaiah said, one of those seraphim, those six-winged beings, it flew to me, which would be terrifying enough. And he said, having in his hand a live coal, more terrifying, with which he had taken from the tongs from the altar, more terrifying. This is a purified piece of coal. It's righteousness, it's holiness, it's sacrifice. He said, and he touched my mouth with it, most terrifying. I get nervous just going to a dentist and him coming at me with those little tweezer things, you know. I can't imagine an angel with six wings coming at me with a live coal in his hands, and he comes and he touches my lips. And the angel said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Whew. For the person who will come before the Lord in honesty and humility and repent, the Lord will purge your sin. And he will touch that area in your life that has been your area of sin if you will make it available to him, if you will allow him. For Isaiah, it was his mouth. He knew he was a trash talker. And Isaiah confessed it. He openly confessed it. And so what is the first thing the Lord does? He doesn't go to him and touch his feet. He doesn't go to him and touch his hands. He goes to him and touches his mouth because this is what Isaiah was honest about before the Lord. And he purged it. And he cleansed it. He said, Isaiah, that is taken away from you. I have forgiven that. That's no longer yours. You'll no longer have to bear that. From now on, the words that come out of your mouth will be from heaven's throne. You'll speak faith and you'll speak power and you'll speak strength and you'll speak truth. This will be your calling from now on. You won't be a trash talker. You won't be a Debbie Downer. You won't be Wally Weiner. That's all I can come up with. <clears throat> you won't be those guys anymore. You won't be those women anymore. You won't be them anymore. You're going to be a truth talker from this point on. And then comes this moment where Isaiah hears, he hears a message directed at him. It says in verse 8, it says, also I heard the voice of the Lord. Now this is different. We've heard angels up to this point. But he says, I heard the voice of the Lord. And he was saying, whom shall I send? And whom will go forth for us? If you had any questions about the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, here they are. They are the us. Who will go now for us? 
And this is one of those questions that almost seems rhetorical because it's, it's not like God didn't know. Hmm, what are we going to do now? That's not what this is. This is the Lord saying, I'm giving an option here, an opportunity. Isaiah, you're the only one in the room. Who will go for us? Now, there's angels in the room too. But Isaiah, the Bible records, is the first to speak. And he says, here I am. Send me. He hears heaven. If you want to hear heaven, you want to hear God speak, you want to hear him give some direction to your life, then seek to see him. Repent of your ways. Then you will hear him. Some people say, I don't ever hear God speak. Have you tried seeking the Lord? No, I just keep waiting to hear from him though. <laughs> if you want to hear God, what do I do? Which direction do I go? Which choice do I make? Which way would you have me to go? If you want to hear, start with seeing him above your circumstances. Start with seeing him reigning over all of them, greater than them, more powerful than them, having a purpose. And then repent of whatever sin he points out in your life. Repent of what you've been doing. Repent of going your own way. If you want to hear, you've got to see and repent first. Isaiah hears it. And his response is, here am I. Send me. I'll go. I love the fact that Isaiah says this. And he doesn't even know where he's going yet. He didn't hear, say, he didn't hear God say, all right, assignment number 42A is here, go to this person, say this thing, here will be the results. <clears throat> None of that. He just hears the heart of God. Breathe in a direction of who will go and speak for us? And Isaiah says, me, I'm in. Which, by the way, I've said it a lot, I'll say it again. Order in Scripture is important. Isaiah gets the answer about where to go after he gives the heart that says, I'm willing to go. Don't expect God to tell you where to go if you don't have a heart that's willing to go. When you get willing, then you'll hear where. When your heart is surrendered, then you'll hear the instruction. It's the process. <clears throat> so God speaks in verse 9. <clears throat> he says, great. Isaiah, I want you to go and tell this people. Now, I'm not going to go through all the details for sake of time today. <clears throat> I'm going to condense the last part of this chapter for us. <clears throat> but God tells Isaiah, I want you to go and speak to my people. And I have a very specific message. And he gives them the message in those verses. And he says, I want you to tell them the truth. It's tough telling people who have wandered from the truth, not just wandered, but who have rebelliously walked away from truth. It's hard telling them the truth because they don't want to hear the truth. Amen? <clears throat> and Isaiah says, I mean, God says to Isaiah, <clears throat> you're going to need to go and go and speak to them. And I want you to tell them the truth. I want you to tell them my heart 
I want you to speak the truth, but speak it in love. But you're going to have to speak it. You're going to have to say some things. In fact, Isaiah, I want you to say these things until they get to the place where they are dull of hearing. Ever had anybody tune you out while you're talking to them? It's an awkward feeling. Because, you know, they're talking to you and you start doing this thing. And, you know, that's you tuning out or you're talking to somebody and they start doing that. And it's like, hey, I'm talking to you. You know, that kind of thing. Here is God telling Isaiah to go to his people to speak and to keep speaking until the people are dull of hearing. Until they start shutting their eyes. Until they close their ears off. Until they say, eh, not interested. And Isaiah I want you to keep speaking when that happens. I want you to keep saying it. Well, God, that's just not being very culturally sensitive, though. And God says, you know, I reign from a a throne here, not from my phone. I'm not looking at likes and dislikes. I'm not looking at social points. God says, I reign from a throne and I speak in truth and I'm calling you to speak on behalf of me. You said here, am I send me? I want you to go until their ears are heavy and their hearts are dull and they shut their eyes. And in this day and this time, that sometimes means some very hard decisions. In this day and this time, it has become the great separator because there are churches and there are Christians who are saying, ah, I'm gonna take the softer approach on this one going to go with the ways of gentleness and accommodation. I'm going to walk along with them for a while. And God says to Isaiah, you speak what I say, not speak what you say. This is your day to speak my truth, regardless of their response. Don't let their lack of response drive your lack of responsibility. Just because they don't answer in the way you want them to in the time frame, that does not mean that you stop speaking truth. And don't let the fact that someone might be offended stop you from speaking the truth. Because here is God speaking some truth to Isaiah that was offensive. It caused Isaiah to repent. It was offensive. In our day, we're called to speak truth. And you say, well, I just find that hard to do. Well, then I would say you might need to go back over here and see this again, repent again, hear again, then you'll find the power you need to speak. And Isaiah says probably what we would say in the next verse, I'm sorry, verse 11. He says, then I said, Lord, how long? How long do I do this? How long do I keep getting them rejecting me? How long do I keep saying this and no one answers? How long do I keep doing this? And verses 11 through 13 describe that, but I'm going to break it down for you like this. God says to Isaiah, Isaiah, I want you to keep speaking until they come to the end of themselves until their houses are broken down, their way is filled with pain, and until finally a remnant turns and comes back to the Lord. Isaiah, 
You keep speaking until then. Because Isaiah, when you do this, you are going to learn the heart of heaven. The heart of heaven keeps speaking truth and keeps giving grace and is not changed by the social constructs, is not changed by the ideas of man. Truth just keeps being spoken over and over. The ways of the Lord are declared. The heavens declare his glory. His word is unchanging. His ways do not fail. It just keeps speaking and speaking and speaking, and some will turn, and some may not. But if they do not, the Lord is still on his throne. And he has purposes bigger than ours. He has ways bigger than ours. And we don't let our ability to figure out what needs to happen next determine what we will do next. And what Isaiah would later learn is that in the midst of all of this, there would be one more thing he would need to do, and that is wait. Isaiah would be the one who would say, wait on the Lord, and he will renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll walk and not faint. You'll run and not be weary. I will give you the strength to keep seeing, keep repenting, keep hearing, keep speaking, and keep waiting. This will be where your strength comes from. So I would say, based on God's word to us today, if you're wondering, what do I do next? What am I supposed to do because my own Uzziah has died. I would say turn your eyes to heaven as Isaiah did. See the Lord. See Jesus reigning. And for Isaiah, he put what was dead in his day at the feet of Jesus. He saw him reigning from his throne over all. He saw his glory greater than anything else. He saw him reigning, and Isaiah saw it in the proper perspective. He was not moved because this thing had happened, because he knew the king was on his throne. Whatever has died in your life, see it here. Not anywhere else, not under your throne, but under the throne of Jesus. He is holy. He is just. He is powerful. And if he's calling you to be the one to speak truth, speak it. Be the one who says, Lord, here am I. Send me. Don't say, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm not skilled. I'm not talented. I don't know what'll happen. Isaiah said none of that. He just said, Lord, here am I. Send me. 
And then, Lord, I'll do that. And now I will wait on you. I will wait on you. And you'll renew my strength to keep doing what you've called me to do. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm confident the Lord has in all of our lives areas where Uzziah has died. Areas where you're still trying to figure out, Lord, what has happened? What is going on? And what am I to do? And the Lord says, see me. See me high and lifted up, holy, reigning over what has died in your life. Hear the heart of heaven for you and for what has died. Hear the heart of heaven calling you to respond, to speak, to no longer be silent. And hear the heart of heaven saying, you stay faithful and God will bless. Father, this morning, we do see you high and lifted up above all of our circumstances over what has seemingly died in our life. And we trust you as the one who is reigning over all things. You're the one seated on your throne. You're the one greater. You're the one who has all power, angels at your disposal. And so we seek you and we repent we repent of our own stubbornness, our own pride, our own insecurities, our own fears, our own plans, our own ways, our own resistance. We repent of all of that and say, now, Lord, here am I. Send me. Send me with the words to say. Send me into the places of pain. Send me to speak your truth, Lord, and we will go. And we will be faithful. We will be your church. We will be your voice and we will not stop until the day you call us home and we'll find our strength in you, we'll wait on you, we'll trust in you because you are the one who can turn water to wine, who can raise the dead, who can heal, who can make blind eyes see, who can give hope where there's only darkness. And so God, we wait and trust and obey in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you